for tonight's film, we've just time to catch up with the goings-on at Mount Baked Harbors. There's strong language from the outset, not to mention plenty of alcohol, and the sort of rambling you'd expect as a result. If you're affected by any of the issues raised in tonight's program, you can write to the Director General of Podcasts in the middle of a five-star iTunes review. This week on the Peggy Mount cast... I'll tell you what she does first of all. She, she looks at Jim's hair, which is fucking crackers. What the fuck? How are you, Jim? It's 1983, mate. This guy's great. Keep him on. <laughs> What's your name? I'm I'm Lee. Lee, you're doing great, son. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> hey, dear. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr. Velvet. And I'm Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about the telly. Yes, thanks for joining us for this casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, there's info and links for the episodes that we're discussing in the show notes, and you can find us on the socials, get us to say hello, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Uh, before we stoke up the furnace, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Well, I'm going for a lovely bottle of Cote de Rhone. Yes. Cote de Rhone. You like the accent on that? <laughs> yeah. I do, yeah. I like the rolled R. Right? I know how to roll me R's. That's why I can't sit on my seat properly. But there we go. I heard that rumour. Right. And while we're on the subject, what are you drinking? I have... Yeah? A bottle of Abbott. A bottle of what? Uh, it's a beer made by, I believe, Russ Abbott's Brewery. Right. It's at the Reckoner to Madhouse. I've had a tour around My. it, actually. I've had a tour around it. It's not it's not that up to much. What, what you see, there's not much. Uh, but what an atmosphere. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So before we go any further, uh, we've had a letter. We've had an, another letter. Can I um, can I read it out now before we before we crack on? We uh, go for it. I, you know I enjoy these. Right. Here we go. Old fashioned paper and pen. This is what we like. <clears throat> Dear Pegs. In your recent show, it's a long one. This, dear Pegs, in your recent show covering the sitcom Butterflies, you noticed one scene where Wendy Craig sits wistfully looking out of a dining room window and speculated that this was her pondering over the unrequited romance subplot with her dentist. However, as director Gareth Gwenland points out on the DVD commentary, when this scene was originally shot, Craig's character had just got out of prison after a two-stretch from manslaughter and had gotten away with fatally shanking her husband's first girlfriend, who also happened to be inside at the time. This is why she can be seen mouthing the words shithouse as Nicholas Lindhurst comes bounding into the room. <laughs> this was retconned halfway through production for some gubbins about the dentist. I thought everyone knew this. This is the letter. I thought everyone knew this. What kind of podcast are you running where even the fundaments of research slip through your fingers like ITV ratings on a Saturday night? Sincerely, Geoffrey Parmentier from Sacriston Amateur Dramatic Society. Thank you so much, Geoffrey. We'll um, we will give that the due care and diligence it deserves, and we'll uh, we'll file that with the others. Thank you. Absolutely, we will. And so we go forth onto the first show of the episode that we're going to look at, and this speaks for itself. 
Yes, it's Gran, written by Michael and Joanne Cole, designed and directed by Ivor Wood, whose company Woodland Animations was behind the much-loved Postman Pat, Bertha and Charlie Chalk. This is the sixth episode, Gran's Gadgets, first aired in March 1983, in which young Jim visits our eponymous heroine with a gift from his parents. It's only a tease made. As a labour-saving device, this intrigues Gran, and pretty soon she's built a mechanical marvel of her own. And it is gentle, it is cosy... And it is lovely. I love Gran. Best of all, I mean, first things first, that bass line is fucking phenomenal. Oh, it's come on. Arguably the most interesting thing about the show, but it is absolutely fucking phenomenal. It is It is amazing. I, To this day, I don't know why that hasn't been picked up and played at Glastonbury. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. By, by, I don't know, Chili Peppers would do that well, don't you think? I know that... Rage Against the Machine worked it into one of their songs for a while. Right. And then sort of dropped it again. I think, yeah, Zach De La Roche's politics didn't quite agree with Gran. I think in 2020 we all know what Gran's probably like. Well, I know he tried <laughs> to get a, um, to, to duet with him, um, but she, wouldn't, uh-huh. she uh-huh. wouldn't have it. She wouldn't have it. That's why they got they got Maynard James Keenan in from Tool instead. Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah, I remember that. So, So is it safe to say... Yeah. Dr. Velvet, that you are a fan of the Gran. I am a, a, a fan. You've got the dream team. You've got Joanna Michael Cole and Ivor Wood here. So yeah. you, you're on a winner straight away. You know this. Uh, I mean, just look at their legacy. Do you know what I mean? They, they're just, they, oh, they, God, they, yeah. they created memories. They created childhoods, for goodness sake. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, this is just a, such a wonderful programme. It is. The aesthetic just reminds you of spending an afternoon at your grandma's. They just get it right. There they is, get everything right. There is, there is something fantastically tactile about the design of it. I yeah. mean, obviously, it's sort of stop-motion animation, but it's, yeah, you can really feel those textures just by watching it. You really can. Even down to the pink dye in Grand's air. Yeah, I was trying to work out if that was deliberate, because <laughs> it's not uniform. <laughs> That's got to be deliberate as well, you know. Nothing makes it to screen by accident, but, you know, come on, lads. I know. I know. I just thought. So when she gets that, um, when she gets that tease made, when she unpacks it, uh-huh. and she doesn't know what it is, I yeah. thought she was going to be because this is, I believe, the first time I'd seen this episode. Right. Okay. Um, I thought she was going to be like Mrs. Doyle out of Father Ted. So she's either going to refuse point blank to use it out of spite, or she was going to burn the house down trying to get it to work. I'll tell you what she does first of all. She she looks at Jim's hair, which is fucking crackers. <laughs> what the fuck? How are you, Jim? It's 1983, mate. Not just that. The jumper he's wearing. He's skin sooty. <laughs> that pelt, that is sooty pelt. I'm telling you now. Look at it. So we should um we should have put in at the start these episodes are only 5 minutes long. That's including the titles and credits. It's, it's not The Godfather. So, yeah, Jim goes around there to basically takes her a present from his parents, which presumably is Grand's children. 
Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the book's tea's made. She do, for, for whatever reason, she's an old person who doesn't know what a tea's made is. Yeah. Which kind of doesn't make sense because they're the only people who own them, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she, she, she looks at this, and she thinks, "I'm inspired. I'm, 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 I'm going to make, I'm going to make some another labour-saving device. Me. Well, she, yeah. She basically thinks there's nothing I'm not going to make here. Uh-huh. In fact, I'm so inspired I can sit in my armchair like a frig, and not do a bat. Well, this is it. Jim goes off. He, he visits her, it seems to be, for like three to four minutes at a time. And then says, I'll be back in a few days. Yeah. Um, it comes back a few days later. And yeah, she's sat on her ass in the living room, right? Watching telly. And he's like, what are you doing? Uh-huh. And she goes, well, A, I'm retired. B, I've got a television. C, what do you think I'm doing? You're the <laughs> one who goes to school. <laughs> she goes, and, he's, and yeah, obviously he's respecting the elderly by saying, shouldn't you be out digging the land? <laughs> she says, no. <laughs> oh, no, James. No, no, no. I think you'll find we're living in the future now. Yes. Jim goes to the back door. He opens it. And when he opens the back door, it sets off this, what can only be described as some sort of Heath Robinson analogue artificial intelligence mechanical garden implement. It's just this... It's It's a fucking mess. That's what it's, it is. It's... it's it's fucking insane. There's pulleys, there's strings, there's sticks, there's a windmill, there's a... The council are up in arms. The neighbours are going wild over the fence. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What I want to know is, hmm. how how has this machine been inspired by a teasemaid? A teasemaid is just a kettle on a timer switch. It's not a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> I, don't know how she's, I don't know how she's looked at this and gone, mind, I need 200 foot of string and some sticks. I'm, I'm going to reduce it. I'm going to reduce my own garden to rubble. <laughs> Apart from anything else, the garden's the garden's only digging itself when someone opens the back door to set the whole thing off. <laughs> so, so Grant's sitting on her backside watching telly isn't helping anybody. Yeah, at all. But she realised that a teasemaid will bestow upon you the inspiration and knowledge to hodgepodge together all manner of rickety shit. Labour-saving devices. Uh, uh, I don't know if you uh, knew that. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh dear. Ironically, mm. given what started all of this, um, Grand sat watching the box so much after that that she uh, she'd completely lost track of time and uh, she missed a tea. She really did. She really did. Absolutely. <laughs> Ken, I'm not even sorry. <laughs> He's not happy. <laughs> I do think that... All of that implausible self-gardening was mm. written in by animated Derek Mogford just to give him something to do, because yeah. otherwise this is five minutes of absolutely nothing happening. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jim, visits his, Jim visits his grandma twice. Mm. That's it, the end, bugger off. She's sat there. The, a lot of the time, Gran can't get out of her chair because the wallpaper has set in the living room has sent her on a trip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gran thinks she's back in the days when she was a pole dancer in the Groucho... In 1963. I'm telling you now. Ken, can we get sued by the estate of Ivor Wood? No, shaking his head. That's fine. Go on. <laughs> it's fine. So Gran ran for th- so Gran ran for 13 episodes on BBC One. Um, and with that particular number, mm. I'm guessing that the final episode, Gran's Goat, is where she seals a pact with the devil and descends into the netherworld to sit on an obsidian throne, watching the telly. <laughs> you have to be kidding. Um, uh-huh. 
<laughs> what do you think of Patricia Hears' voice in this? Um, I do think she's got, on a serious note, I do think she's got very good range. I'm assuming she's doing Jim as well. Yeah, she is. She does she's, the, she's, the only, she's the only one credited for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, obviously, there's only sort of the narration and the two voices, and the narration is very clearly Grand's voice. But yeah, bearing in mind, that's like Patricia Hears doing the voice of an eight-year-old lazy little bastard. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's very good. <laughs> but she does it with such expression. Whenever Jim asks something, it's like he's really uptight. Hello, Gran, what you doing? Like, uh-huh. it's the first time he's ever seen anything like that in his life. There's just so much, oh... <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love why? It. Why are you sitting on your ass watching telly when there's soil to dig? Yeah. Oh, fuck off, Jim! <laughs> yeah. So, how many pegs would you put on the line for this particular episode? Um, I'm going to give it a seven um, because not a lot does happen, uh, and it's. I, I have seen all thirty. I've I, I've got all thirteen episodes on VHS. You know, he's in a generous mood tonight. I am. I am seven indeed. Seven, seven indeed. Seven, because I just, I just, I just love it anyway. But, but for sheer insanity, uh, it gets a seven. What about you? I'm giving it. Here we go. I'm with. giving it a four. I'll get. I'll give it a four. That's not a harsh four. It, well, it is. It's five minutes. Well, it, yeah, all right, it is. It's five minutes long. Nothing happens. Uh, it's, oh, this could have been better you know what Postman Pat's better than this that's all I'm saying in a fight in a, like a Mexican wrestling match where they've both got like sort of the hood things on Postman Pat versus Gran you know fine well that Pat's going to win that yeah that, which is why you would never do that it would be Mrs Goggins versus Gran yeah that's the final Post, uh, I think Postman Pat that's like you know he's the first one out be sort of like it'd be winner stays on I would pay good money to see Goggins and Gran, belt uh-huh. Uh-huh. seven bells out of each other in a ring. <laughs> Telling you now. Uh, right, before this um, crosses the line into inappropriateness, yeah. <laughs> how many how many steps would it take you to get up the mountain? I can do it in three. Go for it, sir. Here we go. Gran features the voice of Patricia Hayes, who starred in A Fish Called Wanda alongside Patricia Hodge, who was in 1987's adaptation of Little Dorrit, with Sir Alec Guinness, who appeared in 1966's Hotel Paradiso, with Peggy Mans. Well, shut them all back in the shoebox. We're playing cards now. Excellent work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. OK, I'll see you three, and I'll raise you... Too, if that's how it works. It is. Grant does indeed feature the voice of Patricia Hayes, who also appeared in the 1973 movie adaptation of Trouble sitcom Love Thy Neighbour, along with Rudolph Walker, who appeared in 1972's all-star comedy carnival, as did Peggy Mount. What's it supposed to be, anyway? A stair carpet for the Chapel of Risk? Love it. Love it, love it. Well done, well done. Got it in two. Ah, fabulous. Well done, you. Well, that was that was Gran. And Gran got herself a tea's made and can make herself a cup of tea anytime she likes, which is what maybe you can do while you listen to the adverts. 
<laughs> now you mustn't laugh, but some people driving to the continent still head south with the crowds. <laughs> oh, forget about the clear roads to Hull and North Sea ferries. No, they laugh. They don't even know that on North Sea ferries a five-course meal and breakfast are included in the fare. Or that either a cabin or a reclining seat is included too. But North Sea ferries from Hull to Rotterdam or Zeebrugge and you're laughing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Raman speaking. Please listen. I have a factory on Westcott Road. I replaced the zip in trouser, skirt and jean for only one pound. Yes, only one pound. Also, I replaced the zip in car coat, anarak, leather clothing, in anything and everything. If you have any problem with the zip, we can fix them. I do ladies and gents clothing alteration. Everything from a top coat to a bikini. Please come and see me. Mr. Raman, 190 Westcott Road, Newcastle, near the motorbike shops. I am open six days a week, just for you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. As always, think on, help the people, help them out. Buy the things. Buy them things. Yeah, buy them. <laughs> <laughs> right, next cab off the rank is this. So yeah, now we've got Matt Houston which is a crime drama from the US. Matt Houston ran for 67 episodes over three seasons, aired on BBC One in the UK. The, uh, the title character, for it is named after he, is played by Lee Horsley. Um, his character is a Texan in California. He's in the oil drilling game, but he operates as a private investigator on the side. This episode that we watched is New Orleans Nightmare, season three, episode 18. It first went out in the UK in April 1987, long after it finished in America. Um, by that point, it was being bumped around in the schedules as filler. This one went out at 20 past 11 at night. It originally started out as a sort of 20 past 7 on a Monday kind of a show. This one was written and directed by Mike Robe. And basically, when an old friend of Matt's witnesses a murder by a vigilante cult during Mardi Gras season in New Orleans, she asks for his help in bringing the killers safely to justice. Dr. Velvet, what is the diagnosis? Uh, the diagnosis for this particular show, by season three, uh, terminal. But season one, going into season two, I love this show. I love this show so much. And interestingly enough, if I mention this in conversation, I don't mean like if I'm out shopping and I bump into somebody <laughs> at the shelves. Could you pass me the ham? Uh, yeah, sure. By the way, did you like Matt Houston? Um, and I will say Houston, by the way, not Houston. Well, if you can't decide the first one or the second one, you go for the third one and piss everybody off. Yeah, good point. Matt, Matt Houston it is. <clears throat> fair, fair enough. Um, I love this. I love this show, but not so few people remember it. I think it was shown over here, 20 past seven on a Monday night. I'm pretty sure it was. Early in the run. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was. It was sort of prime, prime time, but weekday nights. It wasn't like a weekend. Yeah, I I discovered it as I think I was nine or ten, and uh, completely by accident. And and I was lucky enough to tune in straight away to the pilot episode, the ninety-minute or so pilot episode, which was an absolute right. 
roller coaster. It was a thrill. It was tremendous. You have to bear in mind, I have absolutely no memory of this show. I'm coming to this completely fresh. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So I'm watching this now, and I'm thinking, you can't just put a moustache on a private investigator and hope he'll be as cool as Magnum. This is where you get into an interesting point. Question for you. Does Matt Houston have a crossover duology with Jessica Fletcher? No. No? He fucking well does not. <laughs> yeah. You know why? You know why? Because he doesn't need it. Now, this show, I will admit that I, I, I'm convinced, I don't know this for sure, so if anybody does know, confirm it or deny it, uh, I'm convinced this show was produced in reaction, in response to Magnum. Uh this is their version of it. This is a Texan Magnum PI, if you like, who was a, a, a Texan billionaire. And to a nine or ten year old me, the money, the gadgets, the amazing penthouse that he had, all this appealed uh-huh. to me. And it, I never forgot any of it. It makes absolute sense that as a billionaire in the 80s, he's spending far too much money on tech that doesn't need to exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sort of. <laughs> I'm also thinking with regards to New Orleans Nightmare, where he's basically sort of breaking up a. It's a bit like that film, The Star Chamber, where like. The police will only do so much, and then you've got this kind of inner circle of vigilantes who are like really running the town. Yeah, yeah. but he—he's a billionaire. He's, you know, he's richer than any of them, so he can just turn up, take a photo, and they're like, "Oh, what are you going to do now, Matt Houston?" And he's like, "Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my computer to send this photo yeah, yeah. to someone, and I'm just—I'm just going to have you all killed because yeah. I can afford that." It, well, yeah, there is <laughs> but, that as well. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he sort of insists on somehow solving crimes. And yet, he's bending the law, and yet he's after people who are also bending the law. None of it really makes that much sense. It Don't get me wrong, it's reason it's reasonably accomplished, uh-huh. and it's sort of reliably low rent. I get the impression that this could be any episode of any crime procedural from the last 40 years. Yes. You know, fi- you know fine well that this, the sets that were built, not the exterior locations, the sets were used on at least a dozen other series. Uh-huh. You know, you're right in that, and the, the this is what separates season three from season one. Season one was full of charm, and it was full of humour, and there was there was quirk. The peripheral characters around him offered a bit of quirk. By the time we get to season three, it is as beige. What I want to know is, speaking of generic, mm. how is how is Lee Horsley leading this? He's not quite good looking enough to be an action hero, and he's about fifteen years too young to have the gravitas to make up for that. He's got. He's sort of got the air of an estate agent who's wandered onto the set, and everyone was too embarrassed to tell the director that that wasn't the guy. He just he started filming the scene by then. He's like, this guy's great. Keep him on. <laughs> What's your name? I'm I'm Lee. Lee, you're doing great, son. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> hey dear. <laughs> and I mean, Matt's uncle Roy is there, tagging along. Is is Matt's uncle Roy there? Purely so that he can explain the plot out loud to someone every ten minutes. <laughs> He's there because the actor is Buddy Ebsen, who's very, very well respected uh-huh. in circles. And I know for a fact he's wandered onto the set one day going, Right. Well, I'm normally free every Wednesday. I'm doing fuck all. Can I be in this? <laughs> yes, Buddy Ebsen. Do you want to do an awful <laughs> I only want about four lines. That's fine. <laughs> um, you can you can have that. <laughs> and I'd like a suit and I want to wear a flower in my lapel. Um, oh dear. And I want my character to be called Roy. It's there. You're in, mate. You're in. I didn't dislike this, but there was very little in there to keep me interested. Mm-hmm. Other than, certainly for the first 20 minutes, making comparisons with the episodes of Murder, She Wrote, which happened in New Orleans. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are yeah. far better. Absolutely. It was nice to see Sari Belafonte Harper uh, in this, who is the daughter of Harry Belafonte, the famous singer. Right, so all that said and done, Matt Houston, as you prefer to call it, and I'll, which is what I'll forever know it as, how many pegs would you put on the line? I'm going to give this four out of nine. He's in a right mood the night, him. Ken. <laughs> Isn't he? I'm, it's on, it's on record now. I'm literally putting Matt Houston on the same shelf as Gran. That's, that's where we are. Fair enough. What about yourself? I am going to give it, if this had been season one, man, it would be up there eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid it's, 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 it's a generous six. Okay. Fair play. Fair play. Yeah. A generous six. How many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? I can do it in three. Matt's trusty sidekick is played by Pamela Hensley, who also appeared as Princess Ardala in Book Rogers in the 25th Century with Gil Gerard, who was in Airport 77 with Christopher Lee, who, amazingly, appeared in a 1975 episode of Celebrity Squares alongside Peggy Mount. You can't fight nature, sissy. That is, that is very special. That is very special. But how many steps can you do it in? Well, also in three. Here we go. Matt Houston is played by Lee Horsley, who, who also starred in a 1983 episode of The Love Boat with Ursula Andress, perhaps most famous for her appearance in Doctor No, where Miss Moneypenny was played by Lois Maxwell, who also rocked up in 1966's Rome Sweet Rome, alongside Peggy Mount. Well, Katie won't play poker. Fantastic work. Mm-hmm. So that's Matt Housen, and before that it was Gran, uh, which wraps us up another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. We're going to say ta Yes, thanks once again for joining us. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check the show notes for this episode. Uh, you can look up the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at PeggyMountPod. Until next time. Keep making. The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast, Michael Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Man Pod.